sorry, but if I'm smiling throughout my sermon, now you know why. Um, very, very excited about having these guys as a part of our team. And uh, we have an absolutely incredible youth staff already, um, volunteers and other paid staff, youth ministry, children's ministry. So having uh, someone who's going to be overseeing all those folks of, uh, of Andy's caliber is just, uh, just making me very, very happy. All right, so my father told me the story about my great-grandfather. This past week we were talking and he was talking, you know, he's going through some things in, in his life and I was sharing some things that are going on at the church and, and he was talking about my great-grandfather and he said, you know, he loved, his father told him, I don't think he ever met his, uh, his grandfather, but uh, his father told him that, his, that my great-grandfather was a man who was a hard worker, um, he was strong. He loved to be outside, loved to be in the woods, loved to be doing things with his hands, uh, especially he loved to garden and, you know, work his land. And he did it for many, many years. And as he got older, he began to realize that it was being becoming more difficult for him. He was losing his strength and it was more difficult for him to get up and down. And and I'm only I'll be 54 this month. And it's and I, I can kind of understand that it becomes more and more difficult. You, it's hard to think about when you're younger, but you know, reaching down for something and, you know, getting back up and it just becomes more and more difficult as you, as you get older. So as he realized that was happening in his garden, he would he planted three trees on one side and three trees on the other. And when he got to the point where he could no longer really walk that well and getting up and down was extremely difficult, if not impossible for him, he did not want to give up on the thing that he loved, which is in his older age was gardening his garden. And so what he would do, my father said, is he would get down on his knees and he start out and he would go on his knees and he would go along and he would weed the garden and he would pick his his vegetables and he would go all the way across. And then he would pull himself up on the tree that he had planted a few years before and he'd crawl across and get down and you know, be able to get on the next tree, get down and walk and crawl across. And then he'd pull himself up and then he'd do the same thing back and forth in the garden. So he could continue to do what he loved to do. He would get on his knees. My father is 80 years old. He turned 80 years old this year. And he was telling me in in the same conversation, he said, I'm really having a hard time. My my father worked extremely hard up until the last few years. And it it took him about a year to realize, you know, he's 80 and he can't get up. Five years ago, he was with a chainsaw up on large trees, cutting down trees and getting up on them and cutting the branches off and, you know, just go, 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 go. And the last few years, last two or three years, it, it was taking its toll on him and he can't do what he used to do. And we talk through some of that and, you know, trying to get to that point of understanding that you just can't do what you used to do. And so he told me this week that he my father loves to garden. My father was is and uh, you know was when he was working full time a contractor. So he can build just about anything from nuclear power plants to your house. And uh, and he said that he built himself a little cart, a little cart with wheels. And and he would he gets down his garden on his knees and he'll get on a cart. and He'll kind of push the cart along. And so he can continue to do his gardening as well and just be outside. I said, Dad, just get someone else to mow your lawn. Get someone else to do some of these things for you and just go outside and enjoy it. But when it comes to his garden, he still wants to get in there. So he gets down on his knees and he works the garden, kind of pushes himself back up, still can get back up. And so he does that. And he said to me in the same conversation, he goes, you are so fortunate. You are so blessed to be able to do what you love to do until you can no longer talk. It's true. 
you know, he knows that we were talking about some of the things that are going on in the church and the things that are going on with our marketplace ministry and our youth ministry and all these kinds of things. And, and he was saying, you know, it's, you're, you're just in a good position because you can do what you love to do until you can no longer talk. And I was thinking about this week and, and whether you're whether it's gardening or whether it's talking, there comes a point in every single one of our lives that we really need to make a choice. We, we have to choose. Do we give up when things get difficult, when it becomes over, when you can no longer, you know, just bend over and pick something out of the ground? Do we give up or do we kneel down? Are we going to be the kind of people who just give up or are we going to be the kind of people who kneel down? You see, it's on your knees when you're at your weakest that you hear the voice of God the loudest. How, how, how true is that in your life? When you're at your weakest, when you're driven to your knees, that's when God speaks to you the loudest. I know it's that way in my life. When I'm struggling, when I'm going through a difficulty, that's when God speaks to me in profound and powerful ways. It's been that way throughout my life. And I don't know why it is all the time when we can't just sit at the feet of Jesus when things are going well and learn the dynamics of the faith as well as when we go through a struggle. But when we go through a struggle and we're driven to our knees, God seems to speak the loudest. So whether it's your age or whether you're, it's an emotional scar or, or it's just you're, you're spiritually exhausted. Or maybe it's choices you've made in your own life. Whatever has brought you to the edge. Whatever has really brought you to the edge. We need to hear his voice speaking loud and clear in our lives. Whatever point you are right now in your life. Whatever has brought you to this place. You are going to need to hear the voice of God in your life. That is why it is so important that we focus on this. We go back and listen to the other sermons before this one. We, we, really, we really focus on hearing the voice of God, hearing God speak to us, because we are all, we have all gone through, and we will go through challenges in our lives. There will be pain. There will be struggles. There will be times of exhaustion. There will be times we don't understand. And it's during those times that we need to hear the voice of God speaking into our lives. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, it'll be up here on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can open it up there as well. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Then Elijah heard it. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? I think we can all put ourselves in his place as we go through his story. See, before, before that event took place in chapter 19, Elijah had some amazing experience with God, some, some dynamic experiences with God. In chapter 17, it tells us that he was fed by ravens. 
And then in chapter 18, it tells us a story of Elijah and a widow and her son. Elijah came and God sent Elijah to this widow and to, to, to gather, get some water. And he comes to the widow and he says, you know, can you give me some water? And she has some water there for him. But then he says, can you make me something to eat as well? And the widow says, hey, basically says, as God is my witness, we really have nothing. We have one tiny jar of, of, of flour and a little bit of oil. And on, in all honesty, I was about to give you this water, then go home, make the last bit of bread for my son and myself, and then we were going to die. There's a famine in the land. There hasn't rained in years. And they just came to the conclusion, we, we don't have any more food and we don't have anything else to eat, so we're going to go and we're going to eat this last meal and die. So I obviously don't have anything for you. And Elijah said, listen to me, go home and make this bread for me and bring it to me. And he said, I guarantee you that this, your, your jar and your, your oil will not run out. And it's just like the loaves and the fish. She goes back and she makes the, the food for him, makes the bread for him. And the jar never empties. No matter how much she takes it out of the jar, it just keeps on filling up. And they, they ate and they ate and they ate and they were fine. And he had that experience with them, that miraculous experience. Then just by suddenly the, the boy dies, the widow's boy dies. And Elijah comes and, and prays and brings him back to life. And then you all know the story. Most of you know the story of Elijah when, when in, in First Kings, when, when, uh, when he's going up against the prophets of Baal and, you know, Israel has rejected God for the most part and they're worshiping other gods and you got Jezebel and all, and all, it's going through all these things. And so, so Elijah basically stands there and challenges the prophets of Baal to a duel and to see who the true one true God is. And he says, hey, gather up all your prophets. He says, you call upon your God, I'll call upon my God and see which God brings fire down from heaven. So, you know, eight or nine hundred prophets are all standing there and the prophets of Baal and other, other, other false gods. And, and from the morning time, they start calling out to their God, you know, oh, God, bring, you know, blah, blah, blah down. And, and they call and, and nothing happens. And so Elijah's like, hey, he, he, if you ever taunted someone on the basketball court or the football field or anywhere, OK, this was the ultimate taunt. Go back and read it. It's actually funny because they're coming out and they're they're pleading to their God. And he's like, hey, is your God sleeping? Maybe your God took a trip. Maybe, you know, maybe you need to rouse him. Maybe to wake him up, whatever. He just taunts them and they and they start cutting themselves and carrying on. But eh, nothing happens. And then, you know, and then Elijah gets the he gets the stones around. He builds the altar and he puts the wood in there and he and he says, hey, pour water all over my my altar. OK, pour, pour, just fill it, fill the whole thing with water. So they fill it up with water and, and he prays. And we all know what happens. The fire comes down and first Kings. It tells us the fire came down and kind of just soaked it all up. First Kings chapter 18, verses 36 to 30, 38. At the time of sacrifice, a private Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then a fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil. It also licked up the water in the trench. All of this happens, okay? But you have to remember, this guy, he's a prophet. Other prophets are being killed. 
the, the nation of Israel is just, you know, going off the deep end again. And he is just doing his best to draw the people back to God. And he's really tired. And so he does this and, and, he, and he, 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 the water's lapped up and the prophets of Baal are all destroyed. And Jezebel, okay, is ticked off. And so Jezebel says to him, listen, you are not, you killed all these prophets. You are not going to survive the next few days if I have anything to do with it. Okay, you're a dead man. You're a dead man walking. So Elijah's just again, he's afraid. So he runs off. He runs. He is emotionally, probably spiritually in every other way. Physically, he is exhausted. He physically collapses. And while he's on his knees, he's so emotionally spent that he prays to God that God would just take him. He says, God, I, I can't I can't do this anymore. I just he just he just wants to die. He, he prays for death. You know, and I, I want you to I want you to be thinking about this because God doesn't give us these stories for no reason. He gives them because he knows throughout history in this room, there are people who felt and are feeling right now the exact same way. Feeling the exact same way. But God instead sends an angel to feed Elijah, Elijah, and he feeds him one day and then he feeds him the next. He says, I need you to go somewhere. And and so Elijah um, gets his strength back and he travels for 40 days and for 40 nights. And he gets to the, the, the to Horeb, which is the mountain of God. And he finds a cave and he spends the night in this in this cave. First Kings 19, 9 and 10 continues there. There he went into the cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. About 17 years ago, there was a time in my life where I was going, I was just seriously emotionally and spiritually exhausted. I was exhausted. It was right before we started Grace Chapel. I was, I was drained. And went through a time where about a year and a year and a half before that, I was in a struggle where people were telling me that I should, I should just stop kind of doing the things that I felt called of God to do in, in my ministry. And, they were, they were basically telling me not to be myself, if you will, and um, to stop talking and doing the things that, that I was doing, accomplishing the different things that I was accomplishing. And it was kind of just kind of this. We'd like you to stop doing this. And so it was a real struggle for me because I that year or so, I really I didn't know how to respond to that. How, how do I do the ministry if I'm not able to do what I feel like God has gifted me to do and wanted me to do is in a sense, stop, stop speaking in a sense. And so I went to Monterey, Mexico. A lot of you just got back from Monterey on the missions trip. And I called the pastor in Monterey and I, I said to him, you know, um, it was Rene Gonzalez. He's still part of back to back. He's still uh, on staff with his church. And I called him and said, I, I just need to hear from God. I need to spend some time away from everything. I just need to hear the voice of God speaking to my heart. And is there anything you can do for me? And he said, yes, I have a I have a like a, a house that our family's had for a long time in the mountains. I want to give you that house. You can go up there and spend some time, just spend some time with God. It's a really nice place. Not a ton of people around, you know, just a few houses around. I said, great, I'll take it. Got in a plane, flew to Monterey, went up in the mountains. And you would think... That when you go up in the mountains in Mexico, it'd be peaceful and quiet, right? You think, 
I got there and I got my Bible out and I started to pray. And as I was praying and reading my Bible, it was the noise was filled the air. There was a guy mowing the lawn. One guy was just mowing his lawn. I mean, his mower, it was like an old mower because it was nasty loud. It was, it was, you know, mowing his lawn. And then there was a mariachi band playing in the background. Someone had a party, right? And they were like, they were singing, you know, it was really, they were good singers, but it was loud. And people were laughing and carrying on. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is, this is not what I expected. So I was trying my hardest to concentrate, but it was very difficult. But in my, my attempt to pray and concentrate, God, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to me and he said, I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. I, you know, I, honestly, I didn't, it wasn't like a, uh, uh, it was just, this is, I felt this is what the Lord had called me. So I opened up the 1 Kings. We started reading and, you know, right before chapter 19 and reading it through. And as I was, I just, before I really started to read it and started to really pray, the mower just stopped. It was one of the most dynamic things that ever happened in my life spiritually. The mower went completely silent. I guess he was finished. The mariachi band, I'd played their last song, I guess, and people and the people in the party went home because there was no more laughing, no more carrying on, no more screaming, no more mariachi band, nothing. It was dead silent. And in that dead silence, I wrote, I read 1 Kings chapter 19, that verse I read earlier to you. And in the silence of that time, God gently whispered into my, into my heart and into my ear. And in the quietness, God was speaking to me. And I could hear him so clearly through his word and through his spirit. And at one point... When I had not, I stopped reading, I was just, just praying and I was listening. I wasn't even trying to say anything to God. I was trying to listen. I was trying to listen to him. And he asked me a question. He said, why do roosters, because a rooster had just crowed. In, in this dead silence, okay, all of a sudden a rooster crows. And so I hear this voice saying to me in my heart, why does a rooster crow? And I thought, is this a trick question? I honestly was like thinking maybe it's like a trick question or, you know, it's like some kind of, you know, puzzle or riddle or something. And before I could even come up with an answer in my mind, God said to me, a rooster crows because that's what I designed a rooster to do. And he said, you do what I designed you to do. You do exactly what I designed you to do. And soon after that, we started Grace Chapel. And I haven't shut up since. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) now now you might be thinking if you're a little critical in your mind oh man you hear from god god speaking to your heart how do you know whatever else how do you know what how would you know it was from god maybe you're thinking how do you know it was from god well i have a question i'd like to ask you when your best friend calls you up okay how do you know that's not your father or your brother or your neighbor or your teacher or your boss how do you know it's your friend on the other end of the line how do you know you yeah. got idea. It's always one smart aleck in the crowd. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> That's awesome. No, how do you know? Stop. How do you <laughs> How do you know? You know because you know it's you, you know your best friend's voice. You know your best friend's voice. You know you know how they talk, right? You, you know, you know, if, they, if they're a little sarcastic, you, you know their sarcasm, you know their expressions. If they're silent, if maybe if your friend is silent, um, you, you know, you pick up when someone, when you're close to gets silent. Maybe it's their tone of voice. You know their tone of, tone of voice. You know their expressions. You know them. 
You know them. You know you're close because you know them. I knew it was God because I know him. I have a personal relationship with a living God. I know the difference between hearing God's voice and hearing the enemy's voice. I struggle a little bit with hearing God's voice and what I'm saying sometimes, but I work that through. But I know it's God because I know him. See, if you want to hear from God, you need to get to know him. God needs to be the most important person in your life. He needs to be the closest person in your life. See, when someone tells you a story about your best friend, when they tell you a story about your best friend, you know if that story is true or not. Honestly, you can tell if that story is true or not. Because, again, it's your best friend. How do you know that? Because you know your friend's character. You know your friend's tendencies. You know their strengths and their weaknesses. You know them. Even if someone tells a story about a friend, your best friend, if someone tells you a story about your best friend, say they were in a crowd of people, didn't know you were the best friend, and they started saying something like, oh, yeah, I was out with Tony last night, and we, we went out and had some cheesecake, and then we went bowling, and you would know if they're telling the truth, even if you weren't there. Why? Because you know your friend. You have, you have an intimate relationship with your friend. You know your friend's lactose intolerant, right? Doesn't like cheesecake, can't eat it, hasn't for years, hasn't been able to eat cheesecake for years. You know your friend has a back problem, and, your, and his doctor said, well, you know, his or her doctor, hey, you know, Tony's doctor said, don't, you know, you shouldn't bowl because you've got to bend down and a little bit bad on your back. So you know if the person's telling the truth without even being there. We worship a God who wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to be able to hear his voice. He says, I have called you friends. God wants to be our friend. See, the prophet Elijah had some dynamic encounters with God. And it seemed it happened at a low point in his life, at a very difficult time in Elijah's life. He was exhausted. He was emotionally spent. And God said to him at that point, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And Elijah said back to the Lord, Lord, I have I have served you with my whole heart. I've given you all I have. I, 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 I lay down my life for you, Lord. I, I have faith. I'm, I, I, I will serve you with everything that I have in me. But he said, your people, they have rejected you. They have rejected your covenant. They're not fulfilling their promise, the promise that they made to you. And he goes on and says, and they have, ki- they have knocked down your altars. They have killed the prophets. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me as well. Elijah was ready, honestly, to hang it up. He was ready to quit. He, 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 he had, seriously, I want you to try to enter into what he had been through. You're, you feel like you're the only one. He was so drained physically, emotionally, and spiritually that he prayed that God would take him. He was finished. Ever been there? I asked the question knowing the answer. Have you ever been there? Where you said, Lord, if you could just come back tomorrow, I'd be happy. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore in this relationship. I'm done. I can't work this hard and, and have to deal with this. So I can't, Lord, I am so done with this physical problem that I'm having. I, could, you just, could you just take me? Maybe the straw that broke the camel's back in your life happened a long time ago. And you're here this morning because you're trying to find your way back. You've made it 
you've, you've, you've dealt with it the best you could, and what you're trying to do more than anything else is just find your way back. So what did God ask him to do? In verse 11, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah obeys him, and before he could step out of the cave, okay, he continue, it continues and says this in verse 11, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then no doubt, Elijah is now wondering what's going to be, what's coming next, okay? What dynamic, what overwhelming, what powerful voice, whatever you want to call it, is coming? What is coming? Because I'm not hearing, you know, fire and there's earthquakes and there's wind. It's tearing the rocks apart. God's not speaking. But what, what's going to, what's happening next? What dynamic thing's going to happen next? Instead, now, think about this. You have all these, the earth is shaking, the wind is blowing, the fire is coming, and all of a sudden it goes silently still. Silently still. And Elijah heard a gentle whisper. And he knew it was God. He heard this gentle whisper from the Lord. He got up, it says, and he went to the mouth of the cave and he stood there. He covered, he knew it was the Lord, so he covered his face when he went to the edge of the cave. And a gentle voice came to Elijah and asked him a second time, same question. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah, not truly getting it yet, which is, he's only a human being. He's, I mean, imagine what he's been through. Imagine the, the struggles and the suffering and the emotional and the spiritual struggles he faced and, and he, God asked him again, and he gave the same answer. So then what does the Lord do? The Lord comes in and gives him specific instructions, okay? Gives him specific instructions. But he also tells him this, he, this, he says, Elijah, you're not the only one left. You're not the only one who still worships me. He said, there are 7,000 other people who do not worship the prophet Baal. And they're, 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 they're with me as well. You are, you are not alone. You're not alone. Two quick things I want to share with you. Number one, and this doesn't have to do specifically just with this passage, but in all of our lives, the enemy, Satan, always wants you to feel alone. He always wants you to feel like you're the only one. You're the only one ever committed that sin. You're the only one ever felt that way. You're the only one who's ever been spiritually exhausted. You're the only one who's so physically down and out that you literally, and it's embarrassing to even think about that you prayed that God would just basically take your life because you're so tired. You're the only one. No What other Christian thinks that way? No other Christian's done that, has sinned that way. No other person's thought that. No, which is a complete lie from the pit of hell, okay? You talk to the person around, any person around you, and you're going to hear the same stories, much of what you feel in your own heart. But Satan wants you to think you're the only one feeling that. That's never true. There's always a remnant that God is going to bring forth. Always. There's, there's, there are people all around you who suffer and feel the same way you feel at different times in their life, but they feel the same way. And if you sat down and shared with them the sin that you are facing or the struggle that you're going through or how you're feeling, they'd say, you know, there was a time in my life I felt the same way. So don't let Satan lie to you and tell you you're alone. You're never alone. He's always with you. And the body of Christ is always there. All you need to do is reach out. You're never alone. And second, notice that God whispered. Okay? The way you hear a whisper is if you're close to the person who's whispering. You need to be close to the person whispering. It's not good if I start to... If I start 
if you were standing right next to me, you'd hear what I say. But whispering is probably not that good for people who are across the room or down the street or wherever else. My point is that God wants a relationship with you and he doesn't want a long distance relationship with you. He wants an intimate, personal relationship with you. And I'm telling you from what we just described there, you need to have that personal relationship with a God who whispers. You need to be close to him. You need to be so close and listening so closely that you can hear him even if no one else can hear him. God wants that intimate, close relationship with you. You need to be so near to God that when he speaks, you can hear him. You follow what he's saying. There was an old man and his grandson. And the old man was walking with the grandson down a a busy city street. And there were shops, different kinds of shops. And there was, uh, you know, places, restaurants where you can eat. And there was a hustle and bustle of people going, you've been in the city, New York or Chicago or Cincinnati, it doesn't matter. Up and down a busy street and there's lots of noise, lots of noise going on. And so the father's walking along with his grandson and all of a sudden he stops. And the, and the grandfather kind of tilts his head a little bit and he listens. And so he walks over to a flower shop where they sell some flowers and some tropical plants. And he walks over and he moves some plants aside and he moves the bushes a little bit and in there is a bird nest and there's these tiny little baby birds that are chirping and they're chirping and he's come on here grandson comes over and he's amazed look at those cute little birds and they're chirping that was really cool they watched them for a little while and after after a little while the grandson just kind of looking around and he goes grandpa how <laughs> how on earth how on earth did you hear those birds chirping? There's so much noise. There's so much going on. How can people are eating and talking and laughing and cars are going by? How did you hear those birds? And the grandfather didn't say anything. The grandfather reaches into his pocket when people used to carry change around. And he, pull, he pulls out a pocket full of coins and he throws them onto the ground. And when those coins hit the ground, everyone around, they stop eating. They look. They stopped eating, they stopped walking, they stopped talking. And for a moment, everyone was looking to see all the coins that were on the ground. Some people even felt like they, they, they looked like they were going to bend down and kind of pick up some of the coins. They, were, they heard it. They, they were focused on that. And as quickly as their attention was turned to the coins, it stopped. And then the old man spoke and he said, My son, it's all in what you're listening for. It's all in what you're listening for. We need to be so close to our God that we can hear his voice. We need to be tuned in to God's voice. We need to try to shut out all the other clamoring that's going on around us, all the other voices that are around us, and listen for God's voice. You know, I've talked to so many parents I've been in your, I've been in many of your homes and, and, uh, and let me ask you this question first. Um, if your child's in a crowd of other children and you're maybe at the pool or someplace else in your, your neighborhood and your child starts to cry, okay, do you know the sound of your child's cry above everybody else's voice and, and, and crying? Yes, you do. I know you do. I know you do. I would, 95% of people would say, yes, I know when it's my child that's crying in a crowd. I've been at people's houses and I've been, and it's just bedlam and the kids are running around because you bring your kids over and everybody's running and, and one of the kids gets hurt, you know, whatever. And, and you say, well, they sound like they're crying because you know it's your kid. And they're, they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry. I, don't worry about it. 
I've also been in situations, and you tell me if I'm, and even close to, this is not true. I've been in situations where the bunch of kids run around, all of a sudden a kid cries, and the parents leap to their feet and run as fast as they can to their child. Why? Because they know the difference between, whiny, whiny, cry, cry, right? And when their child's actually harmed or hurt, they know I'm hurt, cry. Immediately, and they jump to their feet. Why? Why do they know? How do they know? Because they have an intimate relationship with their child. Because they love their child so intensely. Because their ears are tuned in. Even if they're listening to you, to something that may go on with their children, they can hear it. They can hear it above all the other clamor. They can hear it when it's a mixture of this. Oh, that's, that's not really a cry. That's a cry. They know the difference because they have an intimate relationship with their child. You know, for some of you this morning... There have been times in your life when you have given your all to God, when you have when you have served his when you have served his and built into his kingdom with with your whole heart, when you have served him with your whole heart, when you have sacrificed for God. Some of you have had times in your life and maybe even now you've worked on it. You work on your past. You're struggling with your past. Some things maybe have happened in your past and you work on those things. Or maybe you've been, you've been praying for people, uh, you know, you've been praying for, for, for change in a, a family member's life or a friend's life for years. You've been praying for them. You've been giving yourself to God. You live with passion. But the enemy, as you give and give and give and sacrifice and serve, people don't appreciate the enemy. The enemy pounds away at you and wears you down. There are times where you feel like you're fighting for your very life. When that bad habit or that personality flaw seems to seems to be winning the battle, when that addiction has a has a, a grip, a firm grip, a death grip, a stranglehold on your life. When that relationship that you're in is too much for you to handle, you just can't seem to handle it anymore. When the stress and anxiety of your life becomes emotionally overwhelming. When this life has beaten you down and you can't take another step. We have all been in that place. You know, a few weeks ago, I had, I don't have these things all the time, but I had this clear vision and it was, it was consistent. And in this vision, God put, you know, we talked about a couple weeks ago that God puts pictures in your head and God started putting pictures in my mind. And first, first, the Holy Spirit said very, very clear to me. He said, remember, stand strong. Do not let up. Keep pushing forward. Be aggressive. Be relentless. And as that was pouring into my mind, then scripture started pouring into my mind. Scriptures like First John four four, and it, and it wasn't you know I chapter and verse. It was just these scriptures just pouring into my mind. But First John four four was one of them. It says, "You dear children." are from God and have come and have overcome them because you know that the one is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then in Joshua 1, 9, I love this one. It says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And those verses just started coming into my mind. And then God painted this picture. Because we as Christians, you know, we're in a spiritual battle. We know that. It's not just against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. But I think sometimes we get stuck in our minds that the enemy is more powerful than we are. And I know as individual human beings without God's help, okay, that's true. But in this picture that God put in my mind, it was it was that that those first words, keep plowing forward, keep moving forward, don't stop. Get, be strengthened and be relentless. And I was I had this picture in my mind of just pushing forward. But in my mind, there were there were demons, if you will, leaning up against walls like just the walls of a, of a building or something like this. Exa- literally exhausted. They were just kind of laying up against the wall. And as you look behind you, they were just laying for, face first in the dust and just having a hard time breathing. And the last one was just kind of hanging on to the pant leg with his last little finger trying to hold on for dear life. And I heard Jesus say in my mind, they are no match for me. The enemy is no match for me. And he said, and they are no match for anyone filled with the spirit of the living God. They are no match they are no match. And then he brought that, 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 I love, I love, I love Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 11, 22 through 25. And I love this, Benaiah. You remember Benaiah? We talked about Benaiah maybe a couple of years ago. And that 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 22 through 25, that story of Benaiah kind of flooded into my mind. Here's what it says, Benaiah, son of Joada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day, let's, keep, let's emphasize that, and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went up against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such are the exploits of Benaiah, son of Joada. And, and you start thinking about the enemy that you're facing. I'm sorry, I love the Avengers, okay? I'm just an Avengers fan, all right? And I love Captain America. He's my favorite one of the Avengers. And Captain America in, in, in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron has a quote that I absolutely love. He's, 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 a, he's a standoff, right? It's about, they're about to go head to head with Ultron. And, and Captain America's given his guys a pep talk. And in the pep talk, he says this. You get hurt, you hurt him back. You get killed, you walk it off. I, I, I love that. You get hurt, you walk it off. The other, the other quote I love from Captain America is in the very first movie, where he's before he's Captain America, and he so badly wants to go into the war, and he wants to fight, he wants to go against the bullies and everything, and so he, some guy's making fun in the movie theater of, because of, of, he wants to, to move on, but they're showing clips of our soldiers, and he says, hey, why don't you shut up? And the guy says, why don't we take it out back? And Captain America at this point is a skinny little runt guy, and the guy's just beating him to a pulp. He gets back up, beats him down, he gets back up, beats him down, he gets back down. He gets up, what does he say? I can do this all day. <laughs> 
I can, he just stood, he stands there bleeding. And the, and the guy's like, you've got to be kidding. I can do this all day. Let me tell you something. We need to hear the voice of God. Why do we need to hear the voice of God? Because of what I just described to you. You're going to go through battles. The enemy is powerful. Will relentlessly beat on you and beat on you and beat on you to the point where you say, God, if you just come now, I'd really appreciate it. I'm exhausted. I can't take this anymore. And it's in those times we need to hear the word of God speaking into our hearts. We need to hear the scripture spoken into our lives. We need to see pictures in our minds of us having the power through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Where we're the ones walking forward and our enemy is lying in the dust, exhausted because they can't keep up with us because we are relentless and we won't give up. They're not God. But you have God living in you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That is why it is so important that you and I hear the voice of God. That is why you need to spend the time alone with God, listening and hearing what he has to say. His voice gives us strength. His voice gives us power. His voice calls us forward. His voice drives us to victory. His voice shines in the darkness. His voice silences the lies of the enemy. And he, they, the enemy lies to you all the time. All the time. And his voice silences the voice of the enemy. See, when the challenges and pain of life drive us to our knees, then his voice comes and overwhelms that which overwhelms us. Our God overwhelms that which overwhelms us. I came to Jeff 